This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Monday edition of Sports Bar Radio. And yes, we do. Say it with me, everybody. Have a boatload of stuff that we're gonna get to today, uh, including a guest. Yes, a guest after, what, over a month of me just chewing the fat with you? Rob Simpson of Vancouver Hockey Now is going to stop by, and we're going to talk about all things Vancouver Canucks and some of the many things, storyline-wise, that are going on in the National Hockey League as we are just days away from the start of the regular season. I will ask Rob, what is the recipe for the Vancouver Canucks to finally find their way back into the postseason? All right, before we get to that, before we get to all the news of the day, let me get you to that one story that rises to the top. Ah, man, this is going to be a tough one for me to get through. But let me get you to that one story that rises above all the rest. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well... Let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. So yesterday could have been something extraordinary. It would have been a mathematician's dream to have four teams at the end of a regular season in the same division tied with the same record after 162 games. Could you imagine what that would have looked like? There would have been a game 163, a game 164, and then there would have been a play-in for the wild card to see who would finally be the team that took on the Tampa Rays in the American League East. It was so good. It was made for TV, but a couple of things had to happen here. The Yankees and the Red Sox would have both had to lose, and the Blue Jays or the Mariners both would have had to win to get to that same number. And the Blue Jays, well, they held their end of the bargain. The Mariners faltered against the Angels. So really what it came down to was a bunch of scoreboard watching to see if the Yankees would lose or Boston would lose. Well, the Yankees needed the bottom of the ninth at home, but they got past Tampa on a base hit from Aaron Judge to beat the Rays 1-0. Then all eyes shifted to Boston, who were in Washington to take on the Nationals. And at one point, the Red Sox were down 5-2, but they found their way back for a 7-5 victory. And with those two wins... Both the Yankees and the Red Sox punched their ticket to the second season. The Blue Jays and the Mariners, two of the great stories this baseball season, missed and boy did they miss by the skin on their teeth. Mariners with the loss end up finishing two games off the pace. The Blue Jays missed the postseason or at least an opportunity to play an extra game to see if they could get into the postseason by one single game. Now, the Mariners have so many great storylines. I live in a place where geographically you can either cheer for the Blue Jays or you can cheer for the Mariners. And you know what? I think you're a baseball fan either way. And for the Mariners, their season, extraordinary. Tough to see Kyle Seeger get so close and yet finish up his career, quote-unquote, without an opportunity to go to the playoffs. But for the Blue Jay fans, this one is bittersweet on a couple of different levels. If you think of all those former Vancouver Canadian players who made their ways to the bright lights of the major leagues, including Alec Manoa and Nate Pearson, John Schneider, if you want to pull the lens back and talk about the coaching staff. But man, if you think of that journey that Toronto had from the start of the season to where we are having this conversation today, I don't think I've ever been more impressed and proud 
of a franchise in any one particular season. I know that they've won World Series in 92 and 93. I remember Jose Bautista's bat flip. But if you think of a start-to-finish season, I can't put this one up against anybody else. I think it stands alone. When you think that this team, because of COVID and the situation that was going on in Canada, had to start their season playing in a Class A baseball field in Dunedin, Florida, and played there for a good third of their season, maybe 40%, who knows. Then, all of a sudden, they find out they can go to Buffalo, where the stadium is a little bit bigger, but it's still a minor league baseball field as they're taking on the big dogs like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Rays. Then finally, they get to come back to Toronto, where they went 40-23 and 23 in front of their hometown fans and realistically makes you wonder if they could have played their whole season in Toronto if they wouldn't be in the postseason. But let's not worry about what coulda, shoulda, woulda. Bottom line is the math is simple. They had one fewer win than the Red Sox and the Yankees, and that's just the way the penny falls. But I will say this. When I think that the Toronto Blue Jays organization had to play in three different home stadiums over the course of the 2021 season, and two of those three stadiums were both in the States in minor league facilities where every game essentially could have been a road game, man, the fact that game number 162 counted, the fact that the Blue Jays were in the conversation, is unbelievable. And really something inspiring because, yes, we know the Bulls going to go to another level. We know Vladimir could be the MVP this year, even though we all think it's going to be Shohei because he did things on both ends of the field. This team's upside is like nobody else's in baseball right now. You think of the San Diego Padres who have Fernando Tatis Jr. He's a generational player, much like Vladdy is. The Blue Jays, yes, they went out and got George Springer, and a year before they went and got Hyunjun Ryu, but they also saw opportunity in Marcus Simeon, and they took chances on guys like Robbie Ray, and they promoted from within, maybe a little bit early, but they saw something with Alec Manoa. And every one of those decisions paid off and made the Blue Jays a contender. I think this is all you can really ask from when it comes to organizations and parents, like, for example, Rogers Communication, who Mark Shapiro has to go to with his hands open each year and say, you know what, we've got an opportunity and this is what it's going to cost you. Rogers, you need to tip your cap. Oh, boy, does it make me hurt to say that. But Rogers Communications needs to have those hats tipped towards them today. They gave Mark Shapiro and the Toronto Blue Jays the funding needed to go out and compete. And trust me, in a year where they didn't have a lot of revenue coming into that organization, like ticket sales and all the other things that would have come with usually helping that bottom line move up, they still ate the bullet and went out and got the players with the money that they needed. I can't say anything bad about Rodgers, and I sure can't say anything bad about Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins and their scouting department and that front office that went out and gambled and nearly got everything right. You don't know what George Springer's going to bring in. Maybe he was a Houston Astro through and through, and maybe he was the benefactor of one of the dark moments in baseball history. But you know what? In the games that he played, the Blue Jays were near unbeatable. Robbie Ray was throwing the ball all over the strike zone before Pete Walker got his talons into him and turned him into what could be a Cy Young Award winner. And Marcus Simeon, coming off a great year in Oakland, who knows if that was a flash in the pan. Well, the guy ended up hitting more home runs than any second baseman in franchise history in American League history and right now is going to get paid. I don't know if the Blue Jays are going to go out and pay Simeon. I don't know if they're going to go out and pay Robbie Ray. But the Blue Jays for this year, beyond all the contracts, showed one thing more than any other team in baseball this year. Resolve, heart, grit, composure, and character. 
I mean, I don't sit here and write any of these scripts. There's no paper in front of me. I just sit back and I say to myself, man, there were so many times where the Blue Jays could have easily folded this season. And easily, like when George Springer went down early or when their pitching stunk. I mean, their bullpen isn't great, but their front-end rotation is fantastic. And then they went out and they got Jose Barrios. Tried, man, and they tried for all 162 games. If you were to ask me whether or not I cared if the Toronto Blue Jays went on to win the World Series or not, no. This year, I wouldn't have even put it in my psyche. But the fact that for 162 games, they had to look at the out-of-town scoreboard because they were right there in the thick of it, good for them. I've never been a bigger fan as I am of the Toronto Blue Jays today. Because you know what? That's all I've ever wanted from my baseball team. Show heart, play hard through 162 games, and let the chips fall where they may. If you're good enough, you're in. And if you're not good enough, well, then next year, you work a little bit harder. But I look back at Dunedin and Buffalo and Toronto and all of the hurdles that they had to jump over. And this wasn't about being good enough. This was showing if you had the heart to get it done. And I think that Charlie Montoyo and the Toronto Blue Jays organization should at some point take a curtain call for an incredible season. Sure, they don't get a ring this year. But their staff and their entire organization deserves the respect of Major League Baseball and all of its fans. So I say congratulations to the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, you didn't make the postseason, and yet I think you're the best team in baseball. I really believe that. All right, let's switch gears. I know there's a lot of Canuck fans out there, and they want to hear what's going on with their team. And based out of Vancouver, you get this every once in a while. So let me get you to a guy that I have really started to enjoy reading. A great journalist through and through, great broadcaster, and a guy that uh, I hope we have on this show a number of times. Let me get you to today's headliner. The game heads to the break, and just as you get ready to call the waitress over for your next round, the lights go down, the music stops, and the DJ looks around like the power just went out. Suddenly, a spotlight shines to the front of the bar, and the doors open. No way! The headliner has arrived. Okay, it has been a while since I have sat across from somebody here in the sports bar to talk a little hockey, but now that the season is fast approaching, we are graced by the presence of the former co-host of Stellick and Simmer, or Simmer and Stellick. He goes by the name of Rob Simpson, who has been in Vancouver for the last year and a half and has really started to pump out some good content when it comes to your Vancouver Canucks. And Rob, the only thing that I can say is I thought that I was busy, but every single day that I check onto your website, there's two or three new stories, man. Are, are you getting tired? How are things? I'm just getting excited, Roberto. And not only that, but I'm, I'm also doing some content work for your pals at Equity Guru. Actually, a lot of it. I kind of look at it as percentage-wise, I'm doing like two, three-quarter full-time jobs. So it equals one and a half full-time jobs. Well, that's like you. Dude, you're like the same exact thing. You're a maniac. Like the wrestling is unbelievable. The wrestling's been crazy because there are so many similarities to minor league baseball. I mean, they're both young and hungry and aspiring to get light to the bright lights of the major leagues or the WWE or AEW. And I sat there after my first week and I'm like, why does this feel so familiar? So I've actually been really happy that it hasn't cool. been a complete gong show. So. Oh, no. Let's talk about gong shows, because that's what it has been, at least in the eyes of the media here in Vancouver for the last couple of years when it comes to Jim Benning. But I tweeted just the other day that this has been Jim Benning's finest hour in the fact that he was able to lock up both of his core players, didn't lose any of his core players this offseason, signed his goalie, signed his goaltending coach, and actually got some stuff done. I mean, am I crazy to think that Jim Benning is slowly steering this back onto the rails? 
Absolutely not. In fact, I just referred back in the last, I don't know, 48 hours to a piece I did in early August that said, has Jim Benning's summer been one of the best in the National Hockey League? And this is obviously well, well before we got into this protracted contract thing with Pedersen and Hughes. But I mean, if you think about what he did, he added some depth up the middle. He, you know, he signed a backup goalie in Euro Halak. He brought in Oliver Ekman Larson and, of course, Connor Garland. And you can go through the list. I mean, it was like you, and he purged a bunch of salary. He got lit, rid of some money that he needed to get rid of. I think at that point in time, he'd done a great job. Then we settled into kind of that six-week period where like nothing's happening. I was writing every day anyway, so that was fun. Then you get into the contracts. They're solved. Still has some cap room to work with. The Travis Hamannick situation is a little odd at this point, but again, that's really not his fault. I mean, you know, when he signed the deal on July 28th with Hamannick for two years at $3 million per, he doesn't know this kind of thing is going to go on in the guy's personal life or if it's VAX-related, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I agree with you, man. He's if you just kind of get through the junk and pick up where he left off, it's he's had a damn good off season, I'd say. You know, Rob, you look at everything that Jim Benny did right this year, but there's always going to be a faction of fans within this lower mainland that are always going to say, okay, but look what he did previous. He was only fixing his mistakes. What would it take for Jim Benning to finally get over with even the staunchest critic in this city? Yeah, it's simple wins and losses, Rob. I mean, let's face it, if they do what they're supposed to do this year with this new... I mean, Quinn Hughes yesterday just came right out and said, this is the best roster we've had since we've been here. I think other guys have said it. Uh, this is a team that has, what, made the playoffs twice in eight years. So it's not exactly, um, you know, that's ultimately it. You're, you're not going to be able to say, hey, hey, you know, take it easy until you're actually in the postseason and you're, and you're having an impact, which they actually kind of did in the bubble. You know, they went a little further than people expect two years ago in a weird situation. Hamannick wasn't there, by the way. So, yeah, it's like anywhere else. If you win, it's a lot easier to go. Psst. But if you're if you're struggling, you're going to get hacked in terms of just a guy. He's a great guy. I had met him in Boston. He is easygoing. You could see where he might be vulnerable in terms of he's not an abrasive person. He's not a guy that's going to lash out at all. He's just going to go about his business, kind of take what he takes and try to go about his business. But W's and L's, my friend. I always remember the late Cookie Gilchrist said something. If you're not going to be able to go into the locker room the next morning and face that player, then you probably shouldn't say it the night before. On paper, this is a pretty deep team. They're three lines deep. If, if Pod Colson pans out and Hoaglander is what he was a little bit last year and can find the back of the net, I'm optimistic they're there. But you know all too well, and I think I've shared the sentiment too, that you're always a player away from the second round of the playoffs and you're always an injury away from missing it by six points. What would you say in the first 20 games you'd be looking for is kind of the X factor that these guys have turned the corner? Well, you could stick with the old-fashioned formula, which is, you know, win half your road games and win two-thirds of your home games. That, that'd be a nice way to go about it. That's kind of the philosophy in terms of it'll get you to between 95 and 100 points and you make the postseason guaranteed is, you know, that's kind of the, the very simplest of hockey formulas that you'll hear people bring up. You're going to want to come out of the first 20 with 12, 13 wins if possible, maybe 12, 13, 14 wins. But even looking bigger picture than that, if you're healthy, Look at the division. It's very simple. It's the weakest in the league. You have Edmonton, you've got Calgary, you've got Vegas, and you've got Winnipeg. Those are the four teams that you would expect to make the playoffs. You have three California teams in rebuilds, various stages of rebuild, and you have an expansion team, Seattle Kraken, who knows? Four and four. 
So if you stay in that top four, that quote unquote top four, you're in the playoffs. The Vancouver Canucks would have to fall behind either the Kings, Ducks, Sharks, or Kraken. That's the only way they don't make it. It's very simple. Finish in the top four when you have a four teams in the division that aren't expected to be close. You make it too easy, actually. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, it, it is that easy. Like, fun. <laughs> It is that easy. The three Cali teams in Seattle, you beat them. You don't even have to worry about fitting. I mean, it'd be nice for seeding. It'd be nice for a lot of reasons. Confidence, seeding, home ice potentially. But you don't have to finish in front of Calgary. You don't have to finish in front of Edmonton or Vegas. You just have to to keep your job, by the way, in certain (laughs) cases. You have to finish ahead of the three rebuilding California teams and the Seattle Kraken. There's your formula for 2021-22 if you really want to get down to brass tacks. And yeah, I'd love the brass tacks. That for me is great. I want to pull the lens back to steal one of your adages here and just talk about some of the players across this league that have decided that they're not going to get vaccinated and they've been chastised and they've been alienated. It is still their choice. And with choice comes repercussion. Let's just take a look at one player, Josh Archibald, who has been pretty vocal on social media about being anti-vax and now all of a sudden he's going to miss a significant part of the season because not only did he get COVID-19 but now it's affected him to the fact that he's got myocarditis. Those are one of those situations where if you are anti-vax do you just sit out the season or do you wave yourself in the wind saying look at me look at me? Well apparently you don't sit out the season you don't opt out because that we passed that date and nobody did it and the, the guy that most people expected might or would is our very own Travis Hamanick. So I'll just bring up three names. Tyler Bertuzzi in Detroit. When I was finding out from a couple of other NHL general managers and breaking this story, I don't know, it seems like a week ago, it seems like a month ago, but it was a week ago, that the Canucks were in discussions or I don't even get to the discussion stage because nobody wanted to make the deal. Brought up or chatted about with other teams about moving Hamannick, U.S. markets. Same thing for Tyler Bertuzzi, apparently. Uh, Stevie Y had, had maybe mentioned it to a couple teams as well, even though he's already US based, I don't think he wanted to have anything to do with it. I don't think a lot of people want to have anything to do with it. So they're talking about him a little bit. Canucks are talking about Hammonick a little bit. Zach Ronaldo, John Davidson, he's like, later, dude, we don't want you. Get out of here. And then they wave him. So there's the three that stand out for me, Ronaldo, Bertuzzi, and Hammonick. And then the, the Hammonick mystery kind of continues. Um, his agent, Kevin Epp, who's Vancouver-based, isn't talking. It's a private matter, as Jim Benning has brought up a few times, but they did try to move him. That's really the only fact of all the stories. You know, the, the anti-fax thing is presumed. I mean, it might be 99% presumed, but it's still presumed. It has He has never come out and said, this is this and this is that. So we'll see. I don't expect him. Jim Benny keeps saying they do expect him, but he has personal matters. His daughter, autoimmune, was in the hospital as an infant, and he's concerned about her. And a little bit mysterious as to where this guy wants to be. And he's done this before. He was on Long Island and he strongly requested to get closer to Manitoba. And back in 2017, Calgary Flames traded for him. Let's move on to another situation that includes Robin Lehner because he's come forward and you don't see this very often where somebody's kind of the uh, the whistleblower, if you will, when it comes to certain organizations and how they've mismanaged their players and their health. So for those who don't know, Robin Lehner's basically come out and said that the Philadelphia Flyers organization were, for lack of a better phrase, pushing pills on certain players to help them stay healthy and help them get through certain situations. Elaine Vigneault came out this morning and basically said, as far as me pushing pills, I don't need another income. 
Vigneault was a part of the accusation. Now, I know him from his time in Vancouver. He doesn't strike me as that kind of a guy. So what do you do now if you're, well, if you're Robin Lehner, if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, if you're the NHL? I mean, where is this going to end up? Well, the NHL goes into damage control. I was pre-AV in New York, but I have stumbled across him. I have spoken to him, interviewed him on a couple of various occasions during his stops. Yeah, I like the pill pusher thing. He's like, I don't need an extra income. I don't need to be moving pill traffic. The Leonard thing, this is more damage control for the league and the NHLPA. He has already spoken to the NHLPA. I don't know if folks had a chance to see some of these tweets. And I actually talk about doing 19 things at once like you, and you brought it up off the top. I also produce, or, or I'm the managing editor twice a week of, of Hockey Wanderlust, which yes. is a international hockey newsletter. We have a gentleman in uh, Stockholm. We have one in New York and then myself. And it's gotten rave reviews because we've done some cutting edge stuff. And yesterday, it was last minute before we put our Sunday edition. It was Leonard's tweets. At one point, there's a tweet about his ankle injury and how he almost died because of the treatment. Um, he's going off on his former teammate in Buffalo, Jack Eichel, because of his serious neck injury and concerns there. And that there's, you know, he's not playing. There's squabbles about whether he should get surgery, if he wants to get traded. He goes through a pretty good list. I don't think Bill Daly at the NHL and Gary Bettman probably woke up the next morning very happy. And I think the NHL PA has already gone into kind of control mode. So there's a lot of, I'm referring to it in my notes column as uh, Leonard spews lava because there's a lot of hot stuff coming out of the Swedish goaltender who, by the way, you know, the initial joke that I hear bouncing around is always off his meds, which is a, an offensive comment to many, because this is a guy who has controlled his bipolar, admittedly has attention deficit disorder, struggled with alcohol, struggled with pills, went through rehabilitation in 2018, turned around and wins the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy for dedication and perseverance. So th those jokes aren't appropriate, but you can understand where they come from because He's had a roller coaster kind of ride emotionally and psychologically throughout uh, his career. And now here he is sending out all this information. Let me ask you, this is a guy that's been around the block a few times. You see a story like that. And, you know, obviously in today's media, that's got front page written all over it because you've got an NHL player saying stuff that's got some pretty pointy edges to it. And you know, you're going to get retweets and all that stuff. But as a journalist, is that one of those things where it's like, okay, I got to get up there because everybody's talking about it? Or what's the angle to this? Because to me, it's real easy to just repost what he tweeted and say, okay, well, this is what's happening. What's your first step after seeing those tweets? Where do you go with that as a reporter? He threw out five wildly different and covering a large gamut of items for that. On a daily basis, what I do is utilize a guy like Ken Yaffe, who's on that Wanderlust crew in New York because he ran NHL International for 10 years. And he's got the connections in the markets and in the, the various uh, organizations, high ranking executives at league levels and PA levels that can kind of delve into their reactions and get a feel behind the scenes or, you know, that others can't. So you utilize the resources that you have, whether that be NHL general managers, which we've done here already, or executives. First thing is just to kind of in your mind, figure out who your sources are and what angles you're on, on whichever angle you might be taking. And in this case, you could pick five. I mean, you could pick the Eichel situation. You could talk to Pat Brisson, who, who try to, who is Eichel's new agent. 
you could go the you could, various different ways. The Eichel way, the Philadelphia Flyer way, the Leonard way. Craig Oster is his agent. But it's just sourcing. That's your first step. And it's like pick one. Pick one. Yeah. And which one leads you to the best opportunity to kind of even find the third page of that story. Rob, before I let you go, you brought up Pat Brisson. And he was a guy that obviously was retained by Elias Pettersson after already representing Quinn Hughes. And when Pettersson left his previous representation and came with Pat Brisson and JP Barry, everybody automatically assumed, ooh, that's a slick move that's going to put a lot of pressure on the Canucks. Now that we've seen the dust settle on how they got those deals done, was that a smart move for Elias? And did that actually benefit the Canucks? I think it was a smart move for uh, Elias. I mean, with the relationship with Quinn Hughes and Quinn Hughes' dad, Jim Hughes, who works for Pat Brisson, um, and they were skating with dad in Michigan this whole time. He's really the best of the best. I texted with him essentially every day while this whole thing was going on. I'm not pestering because like the whole beat the next guy by 90 seconds and say, oh, this is what, I, that's not my thing. I don't care if I beat the next guy by two minutes on some story that everybody's going to have. I'd rather do entertaining content after the fact or during. But yeah, I mean, just because the Canucks got pretty good deals out of this, and keep in mind, it is a record-breaking bridge deal, three-year bridge deal coming out of entry level. Mm -hmm. Based on comps, he's doing fine. I think I think all parties came out of this in very good shape. Let's just put it that way. It was a win-win-win. And I think he's very happy with his representation. And, and it's also about relationships. I think he's very comfortable in, in the relationship, talking about Pedersen, with the team that he has, friends that he has, and the representation that he has. Rob, I'm going to finish up with some rapid fire. I appreciate all the time you've given me, and I know it's already too much, but I'm just going to throw a name or a team at you. You give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready oh, to rock? Gord Stelic. Oh, my God. Gordo. And by the way, I've been learning Spanish, and Gordo in Spanish means fat. I didn't know that until like about two months ago. I'm like, oh, geez. So I got to stop calling him Gordo. Gordy, Gordy's great. He's keeping it going on Sirius XM. We did the, Sim, the Stelic and Simmer show for four years. It was seemed, appeared to be wildly popular, but we're familiar with budget trimming in the radio business around these parts. So that was kind of what I went through uh, with that, but it was still phenomenal, a lot of fun. The second youngest NHL general manager of all times. If you could only cover one in their prime, would it be the Red Wings or the Pistons? Definitely the Red Wings. I covered uh, my first year covering the Pistons. I was 16 years old and they were 16 and 66. Oof. That's how I ended up getting a credential with a high school radio station and working under table for WXYZ, which was a sports talk station in Detroit. I'd get post-game sound. But it did allow me as a teenager to go, um, Kareem, how, what did you think about the Pistons front court? You know, it was like <laughs> Paul McKeskey. Can you imagine that matchup? That's the team I covered. Kareem Paul McKeskey against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Against Paul McKeskey. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> and we'd actually have to ask about it. It was like, oh boy. What was it like being Hawaii's first full-time TV weatherman? <laughs> uh, it was stand-up comedy, which I have done a little bit of anyway, but it was, it was essentially stand-up comedy every day. For 30 seconds, the anchor, the news anchor, used to do the weather, and it would just be a graphic at the end of the newscast that said, windward and Malka showers, trade winds at 15 to 30 miles per hour. But after a hurricane wiped out Kauai, Hurricane Aniki, they decided they better have a weatherman. So it was two and a half minute segments of comedy and a surf report and windward and Malka showers. Malka meaning mountain. 
Uh, it was cool, but then it got boring really fast. The creativity wore off and I only did it for a year and a half, basically because I said, I can't, this is, it's kind of fun and being the circus clown doing the weather, but there's no challenge. I'm sitting around just waiting to do the next show. And I said, I need, I need more. You need more. So let's go from the cool trade winds of Hawaii to Mount Kilimanjaro with oh, yeah. the NHL's tallest player. How do you find yourself in these situations? Uh, you put yourself in them. That's kind of how it worked. Just through relationships and being in New York and also having been to Africa the previous year with Right to Play with Mark Brender, who now works, works for Partners in Health. Uh, the late Steve Montador and Andrew Ference. We were there in 07 and then we decided to go back as a fundraiser with Big Z and the boys. And um, it was unbelievable. It's incredible. And unfortunately, we lost the cameraman, the, our shooter on that documentary, Mark Berg, passed away not too long ago. So they just had the memorial for him in September back in uh, Michigan. But uh, he and I were the two that got, it, got to the tippy top, the two oldest guys. Isn't that something that yeah. you've done all that? And, and I mean, I, I could sit here and we could talk about comedy clubs. We could talk about all the stuff you've done in New York or Toronto or what have you. It's so cool to have you in Vancouver. Like, I hope people start to understand what you're doing with Vancouver Hockey now and Wonderlust and all these different things. They're going to realize the content's there. The angle is different. Well, I appreciate that a great deal. And it actually it appears to be catching on already based on what's been going on recently. So that's cool. And yeah, it, I, I don't mind traditional. I'm kind of a dinosaur in certain ways when it comes to old time hockey. But the coverage seems a little traditional in a way, and then also heavily analytical. It's just a lot of numbers and that kind of stuff. And I'm, bleh. or I'm definitely more on the entertainment side and have some fun with it. And uh, let's go to the rink and have some laughs and some smiles and enjoy some hockey and ride the ups and downs and report on it. But uh, yeah, let's do it. By the way, and this is going to make me sound old. One of the things I like about your website is you don't use two font. It's actually large enough that I can read what you guys are writing. <laughs> oh my God, old guy. No, Look I'm just it. saying, as a guy that works on websites, when yeah. I first went to Vancouver Hockey Now, which of course is a part of a bigger network, Hockey Now. Um, there might be 16 or 17 now. They're going all Canada. And they've added some pretty decent folks, I'll say. When they dropped me in here, it was also um, Bob Duff and, and uh, Kevin Allen, who wrote for USA Today for 33 years, was the guy. He's in Detroit. Joe Haggerty's in Boston and me here. And having lived here last year, I was more than stoked to come back. The site is well designed. I will, I have not, believe me, I don't take any credit for that. I, I think it looks good. It does, you're right, it does look good. Like I, people are generally like, they pop on, they're like, boy, that's really an efficient kind of neat look. Yep, I spend two thirds of my time on my phone as opposed to my you know office computer and it reads really, really well and I move around and I hate to say it, but in this day and age, that is currency, man. Get me through a site really quickly and get me updated and I'm a fan forever. So cool. Robert, thank you for all of this. I really appreciate you doing this. Rob Simpson of Vancouver Hockey Now. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Robert. Rob Fay of NEW Wrestling and yes. Equity Guru and of course this wonderful show. Appreciate it. Awesome stuff. You can find Rob Simpson at Vancouver Hockey Now. And uh, I'm telling you, there's so many great reporters in this city of Vancouver, but it's nice to get fresh eyes on things. And that is one of the things I've enjoyed most about Rob Simpson's columns is, yeah, it's just a little more personality, a little off the beaten path, and it just rounds out what is, some, as I mentioned, some great coverage in this city. Okay, let's wrap things up. Another edition of Sports Bar Radio is in the books. You know where to find me. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Sometime in the early afternoon, we get together 
and I get you caught up with everything that has happened in the world of sports and also let you know what is coming down the pipe. I want to say thanks to Chris Perry and everybody over at Equity Guru for allowing me this platform, uh, to Galen and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi, thank you for all of your support, and to Jay Swing, brother from another producer extraordinaire who will be with me for NEW2 Wrestling in the Lower Mainland. If you've never been to a wrestling show, I promise you, you don't have to be a diehard. You can be a casual and just come out on a Saturday night. We've got a beer garden. we got great wrestling. And it's a chance for you to enjoy something socially responsible as we wear masks, as you show your proof of vaccination. We still can get together and enjoy things. So I hope you'll see me this coming weekend at the Vancouver Convention Center for NEW2 Nation Extreme Wrestling 2. And man, we got a couple of things up our sleeves that I promise you, you will regret if you miss it. Thank you for making me a part of your day. I will see you tomorrow. This has been Sports Bar Radio, presented to you as always by Equity Guru. Have yourself a great day. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself. We are just days away from Vancouver's newest wrestling extravaganza as NEW2 is set for the Vancouver Convention Center on both October the 9th and October the 10th. Featuring El Fantasmo and Impact Wrestling's Josh Alexander. Saturday night, we pack the convention center with eight amazing matches featuring some of Canada's most exciting indie wrestlers. Tickets are on sale now at nationextremewrestling.com.